a neurodiverse relationship? Well, I've been in one for 30 years. I'm Lilo Bupert, and this is Touching the Tism, a podcast for anyone living with a partner on the spectrum. I've got tips, techniques, and lots of funny stories that will help you navigate and understand the sometimes confounding behaviors of your neurodiverse mate. Listen in and find out what Touching the Tism is all about. Hello, this is episode one of Touching the Tism, Look Before You Leap. I'm Lilo Bupert, and today I get lucky enough to have my hubby here with me to add a different perspective to neurodiverse relationships. Welcome, honey. Greetings from Vulcan. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show with me today. My pleasure. Some of you may have read my blog, MarriedToTheIceman.com, and if you did, then forgive me for being redundant, but I'm going to tell the famous at least in our family, origin story here in just a minute, so you can get an idea of how we met and how we spent our early years. Then I'll move on to some questions with Bill on a few topics that have challenged us in our early years. Listen and see if you can relate to our challenges and struggles and see if you can pick up some wisdom from two people who spent basically the first 24 years wandering around in the dark, wondering what the hell is the problem. Anyway, so a long time ago in a land far, far away in Nashville, Tennessee, I was a single mom working at a really high-end hair salon. You can't date your clients. That's a total no-no. It doesn't, doesn't work out. And I was working my butt off and really had no way of meeting people. I got this brilliant idea to put an ad in the Nashville scene, a local entertainment rag that had a personal section. Long before the internet, you had to place the ad, then the respondents would call a pay-by-minute number and leave their contact info and a description of themselves, and you could call into that number every day and listen to your messages. So my big idea involved several other girlfriends, and our ad started out like this. Three red-headed friends, one tall, one not so tall, one not tall at all, Seeks gentlemen with style who can hold their own. Basically, we were just trying to cover all the bases because even though it said three redhead friends, it was really four. And we all had diverse wants and desires and, and hopes for whoever we were going to meet. So we were trying to make the ad appealing to a broad spectrum of people. Well, unbeknownst to me, I got a record number of respondents, according to the Nashville scene. Obviously, one of them was Bill. And Channel 2 News got wind of my success and asked me to basically meet someone blindly on the news. So Bill was on our everybody list. We had each, each girlfriend had a little list of the people that had responded that appealed to them. Of course. <laughs> but Bill was on the everybody should meet list. And uh, basically I cheated and called Bill, unbeknownst to Channel 2 News, and asked him if basically he'd be willing to meet me blindly on the Channel 2 News and I was going to call him the following evening and he had to pretend like he had never talked to me before. So he sounded great on the phone and he was real sweet about it. And the very next night, Channel 2 News came to my home and they interviewed me and then they had me blindly Go. call someone 
So, of course, I called Bill, and it went pretty well, and we set up a date for a local restaurant the following night. So, as you can imagine, obviously, things went pretty well. We both get to thank Grant Rampey for setting us up on our very first date, and Channel 2 News for paying for the lovely dinner, and basically, Bill came back to my house afterward, and We talked and stayed up late, and anyway, it was a really nice time. So as you can see, that is quite uh, the interesting way to meet. So I'd like to start out by asking Bill, why in the world would an autistic person answer a personals ad in the first place? Well, I am a private person in the public world, but I'm a very busy person. At the time, I was a STRAC airborne paratroop officer Woo-hoo. in the in Fort Campbell with the 101st Airborne Division. And uh, time was not on my side as far as relationships, things like that. So what I sought to do was find an efficient and effective means to do so. I hated bars, didn't drink, didn't go to church. And I thought there must be other ways to meet girls besides nursing department fun runs. So I saw this ad in the Nashville scene rag and thought, oh, I'll give that a try and see what happens because I do have an affinity for redheads. Oh, I see. All right. And when I called and asked you to meet me blindly on the six o'clock news, like they are going to film our date. What did you think about that? I thought it would be challenging, but despite my eccentricity, I've always been a good public speaker and rather confident. So I didn't have any problem with that. Part of that was force-fed by being in the military and being in leadership positions and making my way up the chain. And part of it is just my natural affinity for being able to speak and not be embarrassed in public. Well, you did a great job. If you watch the film, uh, it's pretty darn cute. But anyway, so when we finally met and you saw me and we got to talking, give me some some of your thoughts, like, are you sitting there thinking, woo, this girl is amazing, you know, I've got to marry her, or are you just thinking, we will see how this goes, or, you know, what was your Spock brain going through at the time when we first met? Well, number one, I'm always looking, at the time, I was always looking for a future wife, and I was looking for the eligible gene pool that would match with my gene pool (laughs) to produce superior children, and saw in Lilo that she was hot, she was intelligent, she was nice, and despite the fact that she enjoyed eating brie, I really liked her. <laughs> Funny, on our first date, I ordered brie, and, and he wouldn't touch it. So for those of you that have neurodiverse partners, you know that they have some very strong thoughts on things like food and this and that, and I ordered the brie. Unbeknownst to me, Bill thought that brie was camel snot, but anyway, <laughs> so moving on about a year or so, we had some pretty serious challenges, wouldn't you say? I would say so, because within the first two months of meeting Lilo, she became pregnant. Yep. So you moved in with me right after Connor was born. So let's back up just a little bit. Um, You were driving 73 miles from my house one way to work five days a week, really having some hard, hard hours And working for a pretty high-level, very demanding commander, plus we had um, this new relationship. You were a young Army officer. And before we get into that, I'd like to mention that people on this 
spectrum can be very uh, stoic. Bill is now a practicing stoic, although maybe not so much in our early years, but certainly now. So one of the things that I think could be really helpful for people in neurodiverse relationships is if the neurodiverse partner is interested, they might consider studying stoicism and possibly even Buddhism because I think it helps center them at great times of pressure. So you were under a lot of pressure. You had this new girlfriend, really, at the time. You were driving back and forth. You either you know, had a baby or were just about to have a baby. What were you thinking on those long drives to Fort Campbell and the situation you got yourself in? Give me a, a peek into the on the spectrum brain so we can kind of understand how someone from the neurodiverse side of the fence would process everything that was happening. Well, I, I think for the most part, I am a itinerant planner. I'm always planning stuff. I'm always looking at contingencies. I'm always looking at what the military calls branches and sequels, which is what's going to happen if this doesn't work out and what can I do to make it so. So on those drives, which I usually um, went on these long drives with a book on tape or a book on CD or something like that, because remember, this is the 90s. So I I, uh, took the time that I had to, to think these things through and you know, fatherhood wasn't new to me because we both had trial marriages, but uh-huh. it was new to me with the fact that I wanted to do it right this time. I wanted to make it right by having a son. I was very excited having a son. So I, I think that I was um, I was getting ready. Okay. All right. So after we found out that I was pregnant and we weren't married, there's... There was still quite a stigma in the South for unwed mothers. And well, we did get married on our bastard son's first birthday. Yes, though. yes, we did. But before that, um, there was also a stigma attached to an ar- army officer who, quote unquote, got a girl pregnant. So I had not met any of Bill's friends. And when you finally got up the gumption to invite me to an Army social event, it was very obvious that I was pregnant. I think currently at that time I was considered the fiancé. And we went up to a social event called a Hail and Farewell. Now, years later, I called them Hell and Farewells because they're not fun. It's forced socialization, which you can imagine is not that fun for a neurotypical person, myself, and very not fun for a neurodiverse person. They don't really, most of people on the spectrum don't really love socializing in public venues in the first place, but when it's forced, that's even worse. So we basically went to this very fancy, lovely event. I was going to get to meet all of Bill's co-workers and his boss and all of these people. I was really chomping at the bit to do this uh, fun social event. So we drive very far. It's a dinner cruise on the, it was the Cumberland, right? Mm-hmm. Cumberland River. And we get on the boat and everything's going really nice and everybody's getting hailed and everybody's getting farewelled. And they were farewelling Bill Bupert. You were, let's see, first lieutenant at the time? First lieutenant. First lieutenant, Bill Bupert. So everyone else has spoken. 
and they say, Bill, you know, come on up. And would you like your fiance to come up too? And I'm thinking, yeah, woo, woo. This is going to be so fun. And I'm standing there looking out at all these people. And I'm really stoked and so proud of my man. And we're standing there. And all of a sudden, Bill starts basically railing at everyone in the room. Like he would point to this person and go, you know what? You're full of shit. Just last week you were complaining about the commander and this blah, blah, blah that they were doing and how terrible they were and how um, air defense isn't a legitimate branch of the army. And then you'd point to the next person and tell them, you know, how full of shit (laughs) they were. Needless to say, I was dying inside. I'm standing there looking out at the audience, watching the faces. I mean, this was 15 minutes of just knocking down anybody who'd been two-faced, who would talk behind the commander's back, who complained about their job. And Bill was just giving him the business. And I want to tell you, audience, that he did not say anything a word to me before we got up there. There was zero hint that he was basically going to give everybody out there the business. So I'm standing there wishing I could crawl underneath the table. Basically, I wanted to crawl into the floorboards. Talk about embarrassing. I just thought I was absolutely going to die. So anyway, they dismiss everyone. Bill gets down. I'm giving him the look like, what the hell? And there's one guy in the back going, (laughs) giving the basically one-handed clap sort of, and everyone else like scattered with roaches when you turn on the light in the middle of the night. So I'm dying inside. I'm wanting to meet people that no one, no one is going to talk to us. And basically a bunch of guys, when I'm going over to the captain, surrounded Bill and uh, said they were going to try to throw him off the boat. I'll let you take over on that part. So once they did this, and this isn't bravado because a number of people could identify that I had done this. I said, you bring your girlfriends over and give it a try and we'll see what happens. Because... With hails and farewells, what I had been so sickened by for years was that people would show up at these things and not be truthful. All they would do was do the colon connoisseur decorum (laughs) of saying, oh, it's been so wonderful. I love my commanders. I love the subordinates. I love the people below the commander, the S3, go on and on and on about how wonderful they are, complaining about them the entire time, 90% of the time they weren't standing in front of all of them at a hail and farewell. So, Bill, do you think that you have an innate need to be straight up? Or why did you choose a what could have been a pleasant social situation at the time to basically give everybody the business and put it out there, as it were, and basically just lay it on the line and make everyone feel uncomfortable, and it was very awkward. And Just tell me sort of what was going on in your mind there. And also, why did you not, you know, prep me? Why didn't you warn me? So Lilo had mentioned earlier about my stoicism. I've, I've been a, a um, an unconscious stoic all my adult life. I've been a conscious stoic for a couple decades now. As a matter of fact, I I'm, I'm going to do some pimping here of my own podcast that I have, which is called The Dash, a Stoicism podcast that's available at vendors 
much like you will find for this one from the RSS originator. So why, why did I do that? I, because I have a yen for the truth. I have a yen for being focused on, on what is reality, whether perceived or real. What is reality for me? Because that's the best way that I can plan for my future, enact my future, and not be a human pinball and be incredibly deliberate. Okay, but could you answer the question for us? You know, why did you not prep me? Why did you not tell me that you were going to do that? I mean, I could have just died. I would have preferred to have been a raisin in the sun at that at that moment. Because if I had warned you, you would have warned me off and you would have said, no, I don't want you to do that. So for me, you know my motto, right? For three words. It's, who dares wins. That's it. Who dares wins. So I took it upon myself to do the right thing and show you what the right thing looks like. I see. Okay. So did you think by any chance what the repercussions might be for our relationship or how I was going to feel about what you were doing? I mean, you guys, you really <laughs> laid it out to those guys. You you flayed them. And uh, I got to wonder why... Didn't you take my feelings into consideration? I mean, you had to have maybe recognized that I was going to be embarrassed to death. It, that's, that's a very real possibility. Remember, this is 30 years ago. I'm a learning organism, and I've learned many things. But I really think if we did that again today, this afternoon, and I was doing the same thing, I would do the very same thing. But I would warn you this time because okay. you're a hearty woman. You're an honorable woman. Well, you're a lot of great things. So I have knowledge of you that I didn't have then. Gotcha. So that informed my decision making. Okay. Well, so as you can imagine, uh, this was a very embarrassing, uncomfortable, awkward situation. So I've got some tips for both sides of the fence here. And the first thing that I would like to say is when you are going to a social event with your neurodiverse partner, sit down beforehand and Bill, poor Bill has suffered this hundreds, if not thousands of times where he, we have discussed expectations. Okay, dear, we're going to this party. We're going to a party where people might have different political viewpoints than you have. Please, could we not discuss X, Y, and Z? So that's one thing that we do to set up expectations before the social event so that neither party is made to feel uncomfortable or awkward. So that is something that has really helped us in social situations. And then Bill, of course, being an autistic person, has had a lot of training, shall we say, or mentoring through the years from me on how to navigate social situations and make everyone feel more comfortable because Bill has a way of saying things that comes out extremely direct, sometimes very harsh, and people don't know how to take him. So one thing, a bit of advice that I would offer to the audience is that there are ways, dear neurodiverse people, to present things to your neurotypical partner in a softer, gentler way that'll 
make everything a little bit smoother, sort of grease the wheels, as it were. If neurodiverse people could learn how to present their side of the coin in a softer and less direct way, that can be really helpful to us neurotypicals. And our neurotypicals, we have to be extremely direct about our expectations for pretty much anything. But if you're in a social situation, and since it is the holidays, this is probably something you're going to find yourself in, have a little powwow before the event so you know exactly what the expectation is. And then I feel like things will go a lot smoother for you. Would you agree with that, Bill? Do you have any more tips that you'd like to throw out there? Sure, I'd agree with that. And uh, listen to your your neurotypical wife or husband in this case, because they've got a lot of wisdom when it comes to how to handle neurotypical folks, because neurotypical folks aren't as hardy, resolved, and focused as we neurodiverse folks, especially those of us high functioning on the spectrum. Those are those are great ideas. Anything else you want to say before we end this episode? Well, I just wanted to say that this is a, a, a major cathartic exercise for me because here I am being exposed to the world for something that I wouldn't say I've hidden, but I don't go out of my way to tell people necessarily yeah. outside of work and um, that, that this is the case, but there it is. I, I really thank you, Bill, for bringing the neurodiverse opinion to the show. And thank you for being so transparent to the listeners. I know that this really is not your thing and that discussing your private life in public is certainly not something that is natural for you. But I think it will be super helpful to our listeners to hear both sides of the fence so maybe they can learn from our multitude of mistakes in our earlier relationship And as we move along through this podcast, I'm hoping that my stories and tips are relatable and you're able to see yourself and your partner in these situations. And maybe you can learn basically from what not to do, because Bill and I spent a lot of time on what not to do in our early relationship. And we're just now in maybe the last six years because that's when he was diagnosed, learning how to navigate our relationship better because now we know and we didn't before. And that is something I will encourage everyone to do is if you suspect your partner is on the spectrum, please go and get assessed so that both of you can look at your relationship in a different way. I cannot tell you how helpful that was to us. It pretty much changed our lives and certainly our relationship. So I think the takeaways uh, for you guys on this episode is always communicate your expectations before you get into a sticky situation. And that if you meet someone through online dating sites, then you might be meeting someone on the spectrum as they believe it to be an efficient way to meet a mate. Thanks again, Bill. Thank you, listeners. Please feel free to email me at marriedtotheiceman at gmail.com or visit my blog, marriedtotheiceman.com. I'll be doing these podcasts every two weeks, and I hope you find my stories relatable. Until next time, this is Touching the Tism.